Hey everyone, before we get going, I want to talk to you about the web developers Dev Kenya. Do you have big dreams and a small budget? Get your website done for under $500 by a Kenyan web developer for half the price, double the quality. Over at Dev Kenya, they're building a platform to connect Kenyan web developers with those who need a website at a competitive price without compromising on quality. Go to devkenya.com and sign up for their waiting list. Use the coupon code DEVKENYA for musicians for 15% off your first website. That's devkenya.com, coupon code DEVKENYA for musicians for 15% off. All right, on with the show. I was genuinely wondering um, what you think the business ramifications would be, like in terms of stock, share price, market share, all of that stuff, if Bob Iger uh, announced that he was changing the name of the company to Dibney with a B instead of an S. Because, no, I used to think that it was, I used to think that the, because the way it's written in cursive on the logo, Disney. Yeah. Uh, I used to think it was Disney with a P instead of a Y. Disney. Yeah. And I, te- and I tell people, oh, it's spelt like that. And it's like, it's a different pronunciation. It's silent P. Yeah. No, not a silent P. The P is pronounced as a Y. And okay. I was, I just invented that. I invented that fact in my head and told people it like it was just a thing. Like it was just true. Uh, I, I invented think- that. I think if he came out and said, we're Dibney now, mm-hmm. the, the stock price just shoots down, doesn't it? Do you think so? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so. I think that's probably true of a lot of companies, just because there's market you know, like recognition, isn't there, of the name? Dibney. Did it, like did if they changed to, it to Noke instead of Did Nike. anything happen to Google when they <laughs> changed to Alphabet? What? What? The well, company... No, yeah. the Google was it's like the, the com- umbrella company. Like, no, but no, but, no. But the, the umbrella company was called Google Inc. And then they changed the whole uh, whole company. This- but it hasn't changed anything for us. This is going to be at the start of every movie. Yeah. It's going to yeah, be yeah. Dibney Plus. <laughs> Dibney Plub. Do you know what I just changed? Do you know what I just changed things for Steve? <laughs> the sort of people that invest in stocks. The sort of people that actually care and know about that. It's now Alphabet, and Google's just a, just a branch of it. I don't care about that. I care and about Dibney YouTube Plus and like it's fucking- Dib- please. It's Dibney Plub. Dibney Plub across the, across the company, all S's are B's now. That's the Dibney World. <laughs> yeah, Dibney no, World. No White. First Disney movie. First Dibney movie. Yeah. No White. Yeah, exactly. But I believe that would be that would be a silent B. No before White. An so it'd be now so White. No, oh, now because you pronounce it. Well, yeah. no, you don't suddenly then no, change the pronunciation to now. Yeah, you do, well, also, can I just correct you, Adam? It's Dibney Welb. He changes his name to Sos Iger. Maybe. So why would the D? Why would the D at the end of world? We don't know. Be a we don't know. We don't no, know. We don't it's know. D's we now don't know. as well. Uh, Sos Iger's got it insane. Dibney, yeah. but, it'd be, but it would be called Dibneyland Parib. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, Dib- Dibney Tokyo B. Be the little... I think it would be a disaster. I highly recommend that the CEO of the Disney company does not change the company name to Dibney Marvel Budios. Yeah, yeah, Marvel Boudios. Yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'd be Boudiobe, wouldn't it? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, of course it would. Wait, hang on. Lo- Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it does. I'm, I'm not saying it's a good idea, Lucas. You don't need to take yeah. that tone with me. 
Hello and welcome to What Is Music, a music podcast about music. We're a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety, doing deep dives on one artist at a time. You join us for season five, which is called Do You Miss Lauren Hill? A critical analysis of the history, cultural impact and music of Lauren Hill. We're going through her entire career, album by album, track by track, asking questions like, does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season we are, of course, asking, do you miss Lauren Hill? And to be clear, we're asking, do you miss Lauren Hill in regards to whether or not Lauren Hill has ever missed not do you miss lauren hill in regards to whether or not you or i miss lauren hill who you may or may not currently be missing i'm adam scott glasspool i'm a genius very cool and a breakout star i love the artistry the emotion and also the context that surrounds music with me as always is someone who has said they don't really care about art or talking about art doesn't often relate personally to music and it's kind of more business minded it's lucas way bibniv (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the middle of that, we have someone who can appreciate context, art, and subject matter. Is just learning how to convey that in the form of words and can play piano and guitar. It's Steve Murphy. Not at the same time. No, very few people can play that. Or at, at different time. times. Unless, of course, you're, you're Johnny Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood. Yes, indeed. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. The first. What I like to think of as the first proper episode of a new season, cracking off another season, breaking off another seas. Uh, how do you oh. feel about that? Well, I hate what you just said, but um, I'm excited about the seas. No, I'm going to call it seas now. Yeah, seas, big seas. We're all big seas. You know what I mean? Well, actually, let's not. <laughs> Lucas, how do you feel about it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to drop. I'm looking forward to dropping a big new sea bomb. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, on this podcast, we are kind of we're kind of zipping through the discography of Lauren Hill. Uh, last week, we introduced the season. We talked about her music, her career, her influence in general, which was actually maybe a little difficult or not difficult, different for you guys, right? Because right up until we recorded that episode, last week's episode, you had no idea who we were covering, right? We had no clue except steve guessed correctly <laughs> he did yeah um but this week you're kind of fully on board you know who we're covering yes i'm just gonna double check definitely, uh, definitely. we're doing another lauren season hill. on manix right it's lauren hill it's yeah. lauren, where we are was lauren hill. behind the paywall <laughs> so this week we are going to look at how lauren hill well grew up uh, and how she got started. And of course, we're going to provide a brief <laughs> overlook. audio book will be out soon. <laughs> we're going to provide a brief overlook at her work in the group, Fuji's. Uh, and we're going to do all of that in order to get a little bit closer to answering the question, what is music? Guys, what is music? Oh, it's... Um, uh, trying to think uh, of something clever. Yeah, trying to... It's, tr- it's uh, trying to think of something clever, actually, mm. and then putting and then putting some music to it. And well, I well, think music on. is... A, <laughs> I don't yeah, think well, you can use I, the word in the definition no, of the word, can. but maybe you can. And I, I think music is agreeing with what Lucas said and then adding music. Okay, great. Good. Yeah, good. Um, episode, some pe- this will be someone's first episode. No, <laughs> they'll have listened to the introduction first, wouldn't they? I don't know, they might have just seen the word Fuji's and gone, hey, I'm going to check out this podcast. If you're just checking out the podcast for the first time... Uh, don't. Uh, so we've got like a, a bit to sort of get through in this episode. It's gonna be it's gonna be quite broad, and this is almost like I'm gonna do apology uh, right up front. Uh, it's an overview. The focus of the season is is Lauren Hill as a solo artist. So while the two Fuji's albums are great in their own right, they're worth digging into on their own. 
we're going to cover them as we have covered side projects, solo albums before. Not because they're not great, not because they're not worth covering, but because they aren't a part of her career as a solo artist. But they are important in terms of how she got where she ends up. You see what I mean? I see what you mean. Um, Can we please, instead of two Fuji's albums, please say two G's. Two G's albums, of course. Sorry. But yeah, yes. apologies for that. We, uh, Stanley Tuji? Is that something? Yeah, a touch of the Tuj. Uh We we are getting ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, go back into the swirling mists of time. Uh, as far back as the middle of the 1970s. Oh, <laughs> is there dinosaurs? There might be. Uh, and we're going to America as well. Yeehaw. Um, <laughs> on, on May the 26th, 1975, Lauren Noel Hill is born. Where? Where is she born, guys? We covered this last episode. New Jersey. Yes, but can you can you narrow it down? Can you narrow it down? Oh. Okay, it's it, East. It's East Orange. Do you remember? Yes. She's, uh, she is born into a Baptist family with one other sibling, uh, and then the family moves briefly to New York before <laughs> settling in South Orange, New Jersey. So in answer to our last episode's hanging question, uh, it does not look like she ever lived in North or West Orange. Mm-hmm. Okay? Just East and just South. All right? That's it. South is where she settles. Okay? That's fine. Thank you. Lauren's mother, English teacher. Her father was a computer and management consultant. Uh, as in, he was a management consultant and a computer consultant. Not that he was a management consultant. And also, he was a computer. Okay, so when I say he's a computer <laughs> okay. and management consultant, that's good goes to clear a, that that's up. His job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is, would have been a very confusing season. Here is a quote from Lauren Hill on her upbringing: "There were so many records, so much music constantly being played. My mother played the piano, my father sang, and we were always surrounded." by music. Um, her dad sang at like weddings and in clubs and stuff like that. So like quite a musical family. And on, on those records that were always played were artists like Aretha Franklin, Curtis Mayfield, Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight, Marvin Gaye, stuff like that. And that is all stuff. You know all those names, right? All of those names. I've heard of those names. It cannot hurt, though, to be reminded. So I've put together like a little medley uh, of those artists and like some Lovely. of their famous songs, and what I've done basically is made a little like clip, a little medley of just under three minutes of some of the best music ever made. Is actually what's okay. happened. Right, so I'll then. just yeah. uh, and this will be good for our listeners who are teenagers, right? Because you know we've previously said no listeners who are teenagers, and we've had loads of teenagers going, no, we listen to you. So this will be a little bit like TikTok. I think this will be good for them because this will be like thirty second clips with not loads of attention that you have to pay for it, once you get bored of the song after sort of 25, 30 seconds, I've switched it to a new one, okay? So just it's just three minutes. Here we go. Have you interspersed the songs with, like, just a video of a dog, like, falling into Yeah, but they're not going to see that, are they? That's but the they thing. can hear it. They hear, like, rah, 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 splash. Okay, well, why didn't you do that bit? All right. <laughs> what about the cat that goes, look, I'm gay? What? Don't, don't have that one. No, don't have that one. That's not oh. appeared on my algorithm, I have to say. Anyway, okay. like I said, just under three minutes of some of the greatest music of all time. Here we go. Go on then. What you want? 
and don't cry Your folks might understand you by and by Just move on up toward your destination some uh, pretty incredible music i was gonna say imagine growing up with music like that but we did kind of grow up with music like that because all music that had previously been released mm. was available to us yeah but we, we just like, did, didn't we, choose we, we were yeah. just we were just busy listening to spice up your life yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. the biscuit yeah, yeah. exclusively <laughs> and i mean you know it's not to say that ours is better you know you know, it's not to say that the Spice Girls, S Club Seven, and Lip Biscuit are better than Aretha Franklin, Curtis Mayfield, and Stevie Wonder. It's not yeah, for we're us not to say. saying that. Yeah, we're yeah. not saying that. It's for other people. We're implying. To it. We're implying heavily. But implying, we're heavily <laughs> implying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to say that they're all objectively worse. Okay. Wow. Incredible. Mm, uh, wow. You know, you're known for your strong stance. I don't think S Club Seven will stand the test of time in the same way as, like, you know, Stevie Marvin Wonder. Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And hey, so, how how uh, much can you hear those influences in these albums coming? Yeah, on? absolutely, and even more so when we get to Lauren Hill's solo stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, growing up with in, in the house where that all that's played, obviously, it's heavy on the soul, the R and B. It's uh, it's heavy on the way that music could be politically conscious and relevant. Um, and then, sort of like you know, growing up around music, a music infused childhood led Lauren to sing throughout middle school and high school. Uh, she appeared uh, on Amateur Night uh, as a contestant on its Showtime at the Apollo in 1988. She would have been like 12 or 13 or something. And then in high school, she founded the school's gospel choir. She learned the violin. She took acting classes. She learned to dance. She was a member of the track team and the cheerleading squad and did all of that while taking advanced placement classes that were specifically for students achieving at a much higher level than most other students. Um, She has described herself as being an incredibly driven person 
no mm. matter the field that she was focusing on. So very much kind of an overachiever, you know, a bit of a sweaty little nerd, you know what I mean? Yeah. What a yeah. dweeb. Yeah, uh, what a dweeb. I was exhausted. I was exhausted. Yeah, you're saying it, right? Am I? Yeah, I was exhausted, exhausted just hearing that. Yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here's me, like, hearing all of that education this person had, and I can't even get my you worms you out. Can't, you can't say the word exhausted. Disneyb. Um, <laughs> Disneyb. <laughs> That's a mental thing to think. Uh, it's, it's obviously, it's at high school when she's a freshman that she meets Prakazrel Michelle, known as Praz. Uh, and he approached her about a musical group that he was putting together with another female vocalist, and they call themselves the Translator Crew, okay? And then pretty early on, couldn't find any huge details, this mysterious female vocalist is replaced uh, with Wyclef Jean, who not only played a good number of instruments, but was also Praz's cousin. So that kind of, you know, there's the in. There mm-hmm. and this is Nepo like baby, then aren't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the the famous thing about Fuji's is that they are born into privilege, which we'll get into <laughs> later. Um, this is uh 1990, so Lauren is 14, 15, something like that, right? I mean, we were all a band, we were 14, 15. Not many of yeah. them went on to release successful albums that were <laughs> no, like sort many. of renowned, but we all were yeah. in a band and we're 14. We, we just band. normally did some 41 covers or something. <laughs> what would you do if for somehow? One of our bands when we were a teenager is like number one in a country we we haven't even thought about. Like somehow it got out there. Um, like in Lithuania, like Dead Noise. Yeah. yeah, one of their songs. Don't know, don't know the name of any of them. Never did. I just, just said one. Yeah, why not? Why not just use Dead Noise? Okay, yeah, just the number one track in Lithuania for thirty for thirty straight weeks. <laughs> that would be great. Years. That would be great. Uh, <laughs> um. So there you go. You you have that trio. You have Praz, Wyclef, Lauren. Um, and to begin with, Lauren is just the singer. But then she took interest in, in rapping as well. Not a huge number of female rappers around at that time. But also, that kind of didn't matter because Lauren preferred male rappers and would model her style and her flow on them. I think she cited Ice Cube as a big influence on her. And obviously that's... The rapper, not not an actual ice cube. And that's Thanks, the, sort of the beginning of, of her journey of music. But, of course, she was also passionate about acting. And in 1991, at the age of 16, she appears in an off-Broadway play with Wyclef Jean called Club 12, which was a hip-hop version of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, cool. which was directed by female rapper MC Light. And you say cool, I was going to say it sounds pretty shit, to be honest with you. That sounds <laughs> like, cool. Does it? Does it sound cool? Because Shakespeare's boring. <laughs> but hip-hop is cool, and that's going to exactly. speak to the teenagers of the 90s. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, MC Light, the director, also, incidentally, the first solo female rapper ever to release an album which she did in 1988, just sort of oh, wow. like three years before. So we're really in the nascent days of women rapping, which I think we take for granted a lot uh, mm. today in, in 2023. Um, an agent did notice Lauren's uh, appearance in that unsuccessful play, and Lauren started appearing uh, in a recurring role in the soap opera 
as the world turns. Never heard of it. Have you, have you, have you heard of it? Seen every single episode. Obsessed. Wow, yeah, big fan. It, obsessed. Yeah. Well, then of course you'll know she. Well, stars I love my as, stories. Uh, I need my stories. <laughs> <laughs> you'll know she stars as a uh, a troubled, rebellious teenager. Of course. Oh yeah, she plays old. You know, I was trying to think of a name. Couldn't think of any names. <laughs> Couldn't think of a single name. Daniel. Not even, Lauren. Not even, <laughs> yeah, Lauren. There we go. Um, and then in 1993, she co-stars alongside Whoopi Goldberg in Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Have you guys seen Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit? Of course I've seen Sister yeah. Act 2, Back have in the actually, Habit. Have you actually? Yeah, I've not. Seen either. I've not seen oh, either mate, of them, no. Classics. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, objectively, probably not that good if you went back to it. But let's throw it up. Sister Act and Sister Act 2, I reckon I've seen each of them ten times. Mate, fantastic name. Yeah, right? I mean, sequel oh, name. I didn't get it. I didn't get it for years. But then yeah. once I knew what it meant, very good. Very good. She, she'd <laughs> given up nunning, hadn't she? So she was well, not she only... really a nun, though. She, she's, on, get, she's, well, she's, she's undercover. Exactly that's she's thing, in witness yeah. protection as a nun. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She it's, paid... it's a bit more than just a nun... Teacher singing at No, him. no, she's like a Las Vegas Why? showgirl, and she's and, and, and her, her boyfriend, Why? her boyfriend or something is like a bad. But Why? It's like a bad apple, and he's gonna like kill her or something. So she's got to get away, and so they put yeah. her in witness protection in a in a convent as a nun, and then she like helps them reinvigorate their like choir part of the nunnery sort of thing because she's a singer, because she's a Las, she's she's a Las Vegas a singer. But she's got a bit of attitude. She's got a bit of attitude in Chatham. She's got a bit of attitude. That's what's different. And then there's some business I don't remember. And the second one, she's asked to come back, I think, to teach inner city kids music from like a Catholic school. So she has to pretend to be a nun so she can go and work at the Catholic school, but so she can teach inner city kids, one of which, Lauren Hill. Yes. She has quite a big role as a rebellious teenager. And of course, she sings in it. And it's like a real star turn. And there's a, a scene where she raps, which Lauren just improvised. That's just, that's just sort of Lauren being Lauren. Because huh. oh, um, at the end of the film, Adam, they, they learn that they don't have to sing like fuddy-duddy okay. choir I could, Yes, I can see where this is they, going. Yes. They, they take their influences and they incorporate them yeah. into the fuddy-duddy choir music. And, and do they win? I don't remember. Okay, great. <laughs> at nationals. Oh, they do it? At nationals. It it's always nationals, isn't it? They go to nationals, obviously. Yeah, go to nationals. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if they win or lose, but if they lose, it's certainly with honour and grace. You really do prefer talking about film to music, don't you, Lucas? Huh? For, for anybody that's joining us, uh, as this is our first episode, and th- that same year, nineteen ninety-three, Lauren Hill was also in King of the Hill, the the Steven Soderbergh movie. So, Lucas, here is your designated area to briefly mention the Ocean's Eleven films, if you'd like to. Love them, aren't they good? Okay, great. <laughs> so we've learned we've learned some stuff there. About Lauren Hill. But briefly, what about those other guys? Okay, well, Praz is a Haitian American, born in New York in 1972, raised in New Jersey, interested in music from an early age, and of course meets Lauren in high school. Uh, Wyclef Jean is Haitian, was born in Haiti in 1969, and immigrated to the United States with his family at the age of nine, settled in East Orange. And his mother kind of fostered his early musical talent. Uh, so Praz and Wyclef, they're both Haitian, but uh, and they refer to Lauren Hill as Haitian by association, which is which is which is quite it's a good funny. rhyme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good rhyme. It's a good rhyme. Um, in uh, and, and in 1992, when they are still the translator crew, Lauren Hill and Wyclef begin their romantic relationship. Uh, so that's awkward for for Praz, isn't it? 
who's mm. just sort of who's just sort of there. He's yeah. in a band with a couple, <laughs> like like third wheeling it. Um, and I'm here. Yeah, and also that's how, I feel, also, that's how I feel on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that is quite yeah. funny because when when we started talking about this band, or when I started reading about them, there was there was three names, and there's two that I recognised one that i didn't yes and he's the one that's just sort of there isn't he yes exactly <laughs> yes um also worth pointing out that in 1992 they're all they're all quite young prass is 20 lauren is 17 and wyclef is 23 uh but of course wyclef has known lauren since he was 20 and she was 14 so mm-hmm. i don't know if we want to do we want to uh-huh. just do we want to just not touch on that or uh also around this time that they uh, they get paired with record producer Ronald Bell, who was most famous for producing Cool in the Gang. And they go into the studio and they write and they record the album Blunted on Reality in the summer of 1992 and then begins the protracted, arduous, contentious gestation period of the finished album. A bunch of producers get involved with lots of different ideas of what the album should be, including the translator crew's um, management. Uh, But off the back of that and off the back of some gigs in 1993, the translator crew gets signed to the record label Rough House, which is part of Columbia Records, right? And the album is finally wrapped up in June 1993, right? But then... There was a long dispute with their new record label. So the album was just getting continually delayed and delayed and delayed. And then in early 1994, Praz Lauren and Wyclef changed the name of their group from Translator Crew to Fuji's. I actually prefer Translator Crew, I think. Do you? I yeah, don't, because I blew my own mind by reading about it and by just putting two and two together and realising that it's a shortened version of refugees. Yes, and the word refugee at the time was being used as a derogatory term specifically for Haitian-Americans. Now, of course, you have a Haitian-American and a Haitian guy and someone who's Haitian by association uh, in the band. So it's Mm -hmm. quite a kind of a bold uh, name change, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that that was the nomenclature of the title, of the name, and then googled it and was right so at least i felt good but i just i don't know it, the word something about the word it's i think maybe because i assumed right from the start oh it's refugees i think it almost sounds like an incomplete word right yeah because it's fugies yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it almost works better if it was what i always thought it was which is the fugies because it maintains the syllable refugees the fugies. the fugies yeah yeah uh, apparently you're saying about having loads of loads of uh producers i've seen that they said that they were quite unhappy with the level of input all of those producers ended up having or they felt yes. like they didn't get enough say it wasn't it was too much I sway from other people they are quite unhappy with the way that this album turned out uh, in the end um I, which we'll get into. I, uh, so, like, yeah, after, after a two-year gestation period of the album, Blunted on Reality is released on February the 1st, 1994. It's 18 tracks and 71 minutes. Too fucking long. It's, no, it's, it's, it's too it's long. long, isn't it? It's, Cut that down. Uh, it's Cut too long. that down. Uh, it's yeah. produced by Praz, Wycliffe Sean, uh, Khalees Bayan, Brand X, Stephen Walker, Rashad Muhammad, and then Salam Remy also gets uh, uh, a credit because he added the Nappy Heads remix. Um, the artwork, classic 90s hip hop album stuff, isn't it? It's just three mm-hmm. photos of them. It's just some photos of them in the title. They look pretty 90s. They look pretty hip hop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what do we think of the title, though? Blunted on Reality. 
about about weed. It's not. No, it's not. It's though, not. Is it? It's, it's not. not. No, but is it? It's got to be a bit about that. Wycliffe, like, it, well, Wycliffe specifically that, yeah. said it's not. Well, it might. It might have a different meaning, but like obviously, you've got that there. <laughs> That's where it that- comes <laughs> from. The the, yeah. the the word blunted is to get. It's to get high, but I I always see it as to get fucked up. And then uh, and then have you got the quote, Lucas, that Wycliffe goes Go on, on? Hang on. When he uh, yes, on a talk show, he described it as when the cop is messing around with somebody for something that the person didn't do, and they try to set him up. That makes me blunted on reality. When the government is taking money uh, is taking money on arms, and that money could be going back into the community, it makes me blunted on reality. It's just awareness of what's going on, and that's what blunted really means. It don't mean that I smoke weed because I'm too paranoid as it is. Which is, a, which is a good joke. I feel yeah. you. Why? <laughs> yeah, that is a good joke. A lot of the interstitials in this are them going... Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that's just, that, is kind of, that is kind of 90s and early 2000s sort of rap yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. is is uh Is interstitials and a lot of them involving smoking weed. And we'll um, get to them. I hate every single one of them. <laughs> but it also, it also plays into the themes of the album, which I think surprised me a little bit. Um we'll speak very broadly on the album as we go through some of the tracks that we've each picked out of it. But very initially, it's much more of a straight hip-hop album than I was expecting. And it's more political than I was expecting. Mm. It's more aggressive than I was expecting. It's more immediate uh, than I was expecting. Did, did, did you feel that too, Steve? Yeah, I mean, my reference points were you're killing me softly, you're ready or not. So I expected slower, more soulful, like, yeah, I didn't expect it to, and I don't think I'm cool enough to say this, go so hard. Yeah, um, we're going we're gonna to have to say that because so, some people have said that about it. In like, I've quoted them as well, and I'm going to have to say things like, oh, that goes hard. Do you know right, what I mean? Yeah. That's, it's, not really, it's not really the vibe that we wanted to, to, to go for, is it? I don't know. Because, I mean, we're obviously going to go through it in a minute, but you start off with this kind of uh, poem to an extent, and then it just goes in with nappy heads, and you're just like, oh, yeah, okay. And like again, I had I just had no reference reference point for for Fuji's at all, apart from the couple of Lauren Hill uh, and uh, tracks and and a couple of later ones um, on the second album. So yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, I I enjoyed it. So. Yeah, I mean, that that intro is very very dramatic. Uh, and yeah, it, it kind of sets this album off off on a path where I was like, oh okay. And then I I have to assume, and I'm going to play it, but I assume this is why Lucas picked Nappy Heads is because it's. Just that immediate hit of like, oh, that's what this album is that we weren't necessarily expecting. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play it. And here we bloody go. Yeah. 
We played like about a minute 20 of the song there and already more lyrics than some albums we've covered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. Kevin Carter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Click, 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 click. <laughs> Comes out of the gate absolutely flying, Lucas, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a good song. I mean, I, I mean, we'll get into it I know, broadly as we go through the tracks, but a lot of the stuff I more respond to on some of these songs is instrumentation and sound and cadence than lyrics. I've got a whole bit about lyrics. We'll go into it later. Uh, but so this one, because it's got like, it's fun. It's fun bop. It's got the trumpets. Because there are some songs on this where the instrumentation is some beats. Yes. And those songs are the ones that I don't rate. Can't get into. You're, not, you're not a lyrics guy. And I would say guy. that a lot of the lyrics on this can be quite hard to discern because they're just so rapid fire, you know, and they're saying so many things in so few lines, you know. Yeah. And so this one, I was like, oh, no, it's like, it's got just a fun, it's just like even, and then just, and then just the, the vocals is just an instrument on top of it. You know, it's just creating like a rhythm, rhythm. on yes. the yeah, song, yeah. basically. A second rhythm, because there's already drums doing a rhythm, but, you know, so is the bass. Um, and then, yeah, the fun trumpets, and then I'll hear the odd line. Suddenly I'll hear, suddenly I'll hear, like, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Like, and I'll be like, oh, that's yeah, yeah. I recognise. Like, that, that's, a, one, it's a wonderful impression, both Yo, on thank your you. part and on, uh, on the rapper's part. Um, I'll have you sing like Louis Armstrong and I say to myself, what a wonderful world, but what the fuck was so wonderful about picking cotton on a farm? Yeah, it immediately takes you out of the humour, just goes yeah, yeah, yeah. straight. I'm yeah. almost certain that you responded to the Louis Armstrong bit and then your brain switched off for that. Picking cotton on a farm, bit, but I, maybe. I, when I read the lyrics, though, I, I, I don't want to get into the lyrics bit straight away. But when I read the lyrics along with it and listened hard and tried, mm. uh, those lyrics did stand out. I did actually make a note of that line because it is funny. Yeah, it's funny. It's also deadly serious. Obviously, yeah. uh, later on in the song, they list powerful black figures, and you know, this is territory that we haven't really been in before. But they. They put it all out there on the first track. I think it's a really good setting of tone. And again, not at all the tone I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, you say we've not really been in this kind of territory before, but having just very collage lyrics and just and just naming prominent figures. I mean, you're naming prominent figures in black history here and, and recent, and, and, and recent uh, black history as well, to an extent. Um, but naming prominent figures in history big names, collage lyrics. It's got that kind of manic just throwing ideas at you. I mean, it's obviously in a very different kind of tone, of course. And it's No, I've always said person. Manic Street Preachers are Britain's foremost hip-hop band. I've always mm-hmm. said that. You've always, always said and that. you have always said that. I've and you text me every day. I t- every day. You, every yeah, day. It's like your alarm call now yeah. these days. Um, <laughs> even the title, though, like Nappy Heads, is a reference to a racist term used for black people's hair. So mm. they are... Like they're just putting it all out there, which I think I think is I think is excellent. Um, I I played this without really talking to you about it, but obviously this is the version you intended me to play, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah because this is actually the less well-known version. The more well-known, somewhat considered definitive version of the song is the remix that appears at the end of the album, which is less a remix and more of a complete re-recording. Uh, I'll play a little bit of it just really quickly. Yeah, so Mona Lisa, could I get a date on Friday? And if you're busy, I wouldn't buy tickets Saturday. Hey, hey, hey. 
Round up the bossy Fuji coming around the way I don't puff blood so I always got my breath Never had to battle with a bulletproof vest They call me cock weasel but I still keep a chest I don't wear Jerry girls cause I'm not from the west Don't disrespect to the west, true indeed I rock it to the east, the east is the sea Good to hear some of Lauren there as well. But that is kind of fits into that mode that you were saying where like some of it is just beats. Yeah, that is that that's way less compelling to me. Also, that's got they've added more lyrics to that, right? Because Lauren doesn't do much on this song. Whereas that's that a version, different verse, isn't it? Complete re-record. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. it even a re-record? When you've got extra verses, it's like a new it's, version. The lyrics are different. The the instrumentation is different. Mm-hmm. The beat is different. It's a remix. Yep. <laughs> Do you still have the chorus the same? I can't nah, remember. Yeah, it's yeah. a remix. It's got the same name, though. It's got the same name, though. So it's the same. It's got the same name. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- that version, like, uh, I just found some little trivia bits on it, and they're absolutely fascinating. I was watching this interview with Salam Remy, who is the producer of that remix and ends up going on to work with them much more in the future. He was saying that Wyclef uh, just rapped for 14 minutes and then Salam Remy just pieced together his sections for the remixed version. Mad. Just took the bits that he liked the most. Like Wyclef is prolific like that and Lauren is obsessive. So for that remix uh, of Nappy Heads, she did separate vocal takes for the explicit version, another for the clean version and a completely different one for the video edit as well because she was right. very focused on getting the flow of the slight lyric changes right. And also, Praz is there, okay? So that's, that's you, good. You say that, Praz, huh? Ghetto Superstar. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, we'll get into what they do later. Yeah. He's got some bangers. He's got that's some bangers. It. Yeah, well, no, he's got one other, and I can't remember the title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the, that, that more laid-back remix version, because it's recorded in that like extended delay that the album goes through, it also kind of sets the tone for how they'll work on the score. Because a lot of the score they work with with Remy. Uh, and he works much more closely with them. Um, we've only picked a couple of tracks from the first album. I think the first album's less compelling than the score. I think the score is excellent. I think that Blunted on Reality is fine. Steve, you picked Boof Baff. But how you gonna tell the real rappers from these phonies? Cause he says everyone, what are they? What are they? Company, they go home, they write a rhyme, they take, they're ready to battle me. Some write forward, some write backwards. I wait for them to get dizzy, then I catch them in reverse. Yo, with a verse that's worse than the last one. Some say, boom, leave the boat, you used to diss Jamaicans. And hey, she's cause you thought I was American, they cried. Remember that song they said? Yeah! Go back to Jamaica. What's new, this, what's new? But now we move back, you know, cruise with the translator, too loud. Okay, I'd like <laughs> Lucas. You saying you, you had your eyes closed and you're like, I'm just trying to hear the lyrics. It's it's vaguely impossible for some of that. And you know, obviously, I'm the lyrics guy. I don't know a lot of the lyrics uh, on this track, but it does contain 
my favourite uh, lyric that we've ever covered on the podcast. Um, right. And we've talked before we've talked before about 90s rapping. Yeah. And I think I've specifically pointed out Jurassic 5. Jurassic 5, who are always like, hey, I'm in the band Jurassic 5, and my name is this, and I'm one of the five. And it's all, it's all yeah. stuff like that. And this one is, if you write with pencil, you must write with a pen. If you have a rooster, you must have a hen. Five plus five, you know that equals to ten. That is <laughs> excellent. That is what it brings me. So good. It brings me so much joy. Uh, it's yeah. Absolutely great. There's also like, is, there's also a Will Smith diss in there, isn't there? Is there a Will Smith? Diss? There's a bit about uh, if you get jiggy with it, something. There's a there's there's some line where they take the piss out of about getting jiggy with it, which can only but mean that. Will Smith, well, that surely. is we're about three years before that comes out, aren't we? Are we? I don't know. This don't is know. this is pre getting jiggy with it, my friend, which I believe is 1997, unless I'm very much mistaken. Oh, I don't know then. Well, maybe that's just a phrase, isn't it? That... It is just a phrase, yeah, yeah. but it, it, it was released in uh, 1998 as a single, but it's from the 1997 nice. album Big Willie Style. Nice. This mm. Big Willie. Yeah, it did. Well, you know, we deal on this podcast a lot with time travel, so it might be that. Uh, that's true. Steve, why did you pick this song? Boof Baff. Yeah, I, that call and response chorus is great. Oh, it's great. It's supposed to be onomatopoeia for the sound of a gun. Um, Does the gun make one sound? Bang. What's the two? Boof Baff. It's two guns. What's the guns second? Guns do guns do kind of make a goo goo sort of sound of like the hammer going back and the and the, I think know, the sound the of the hammer like and everything <laughs> is enormously <laughs> overwhelmed by the explosive sound of a gun going so. off. Don't think so. Don't think so. It's two guns. It's two guns. <laughs> one goes boof. One goes baff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I like that. I'm, I'm willing to go with that. Face yeah, off yeah, style, yeah, like cool. dual wielding. Oh, interesting. I can't. Lucas is just Lucas has just discovered he's got arthritis. I can't I can't finger guns on my left hand. I can do that, right? Uh, Classic. I quite struggle with that on my left. I'm like having to like really Uh. sort of think about it. That's weird. You're like Bill Nye. Yeah. What's Bill Nye? Uh, I picked it because it's a bit of fun with with the call and response stuff, yeah. But it's also Wyclef just talking a lot about his Haitian uh, heritage and stuff, and then that against the culture of nineties America and all of that. Um, kind of gang culture stuff, which I thought was a very interesting kind of way to kind of um, talk about his heritage in a way like that. Um, so that's what I thought was quite cool. Um, Lauren Hill has a great verse on this with some of my favourite lyrics on the album. Oh, okay. And that and this is just when they just reference things. Mm-hmm. They, they do it in the, another album as well. It's just so it's the, there's a line that's to kill the Jesse James rough step back check his steps. I love your theory like the chichi boo 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 man. I'm going to try that again. <laughs> I love your theory like the chichi woo boo boogie man. And then it says, you say I'm balanced, but you're silence of the lambs. And when I call your name, I say candy man, candy man, candy man. And I've just said it three times. Uh-oh. I mean, that's a problem for you, isn't it? Not Wait, for us. hang on. You weren't looking in a mirror. Well... Oh, I sort of am. Oh, you're sort of looking at the Zoom chat, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I only have it as me. Um, I don't have you guys there. Um, it's, also, yeah, it's also just catchy as fuck. Like, yeah, uh, yeah it really stood out. Cause, uh, yeah, but it's it just lyrically, it is, it is great. I mean, it's all great, isn't it? Because it's all so dense. But um, they talk a lot about heritage and, and the refugee thing. I see there. a lot of hometown pride in those mm. lyrics. It feels like they're kind of representing. I think it's something that is also uh, kind of touched on in the song that I picked uh, from this album, which is called Some Seek Stardom. Ah, check the crippled man sitting in the church. My conscience hurts, flesh like me hits the dirt. 
She's paralyzed from her feet to her thighs And the man who pulled the trigger didn't even lose his left eye I checked Jimmy cutting hair at the barber shop He plays the bass guitar like David plays the harp His knowledge name is Greek Cause whenever he spits he's got the wisdom of King Solomon Bags in his eyes from no sleep Sometimes he thought of the fame in Madison Square Garden So some seek stardom, but they forget Harlem But Tiki, first of all, the kingdom of God That's what my pops told me So if my ball could the choir catch me I flew away on a mountain Got tempted by Satan Got bitten by a cobra But the Lord took my venom So whose side am I on? I'm on the righteous Always check the lyrics No time to contradict Some seek stardom Then they forget Harlem They keep their pockets full, but their souls run empty. Well, ain't your family, I beseech you, in the hopes that I may reach you. My mother told me one day that... Does that chorus remind you of Rage Against the Machine? Yeah, a bit. If that was said uh, a bit more loud and angry, then it's very... Uh... Uh, it reminds me specifically of Killing in the Name. Uh, like, the the uh, some seek stardom and then forget Harlem or whatever she said reminds me of some, some of those, those that burn crosses are the same yeah. that work forces. And then after that... Uh, I can't remember the lyric from the uh, Rage Against the Machine one, but when uh, she says uh, they keep their pockets full and they're something empty, it's the same rhythm as something else I'm killing in the name of. Uh, which is just, it literally just occurred to me just then. Like, it, yeah, rally around the family <laughs> with a pocket full of shells. Yeah. It might be that. Yeah, yeah. It's a different it, one. Yeah, but yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, so I, I picked this one because, uh, in uh, contradiction to the other two that have been picked, uh, in which Lauren is kind of like a bit part player. She's the only performer on this one. This is kind of like, this is Lauren's song. No one else appears on this one. And boy, does she perform on it. She does indeed. Uh, and, you know, her, her flow is amazing. We'll go into her flow on, on the second record, I think. Um, but this is a song that is often picked out as a highlight of the record by critics. Lauren's rapping especially. Uh, but we get a little bit of her singing or like a glimpse of her singing voice in places, mm-hmm. which isn't hugely present on this whole record. You know, there's not a lot of Lauren singing. Yeah, you've got the the first verse is loads of religious imagery. The second verse is insane. She barely takes a breath and like she still has time to put these like inflections on lines. But like you cannot understand her. Um, it just sounds so impressive. And then the third and then, yeah, then Adam, like you said, the third verse, she's rapping, but switching to like jazz singing. Like so quickly, and you have this like clarinet solo in the background, and all of a sudden you've got this really experimental thing on this quite hard hip hop album um, from the other songs we've covered and stuff. Oh, it goes hard, yeah, it goes hard. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or we go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to go yeah. hard or go home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like home. You're already at you home. Are. You are. It's warm. It's yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, so yeah, I can't yeah, go yeah. hard at the moment. Yeah. There's some like real, <laughs> there's some real social commentary stuff going on towards the end of the lyrics as well. I mean, there's I and mean, there is throughout a lot of it, but in particular, a I mean, a because I've read them. Because I couldn't, you know, again, from reading yeah, them. Same, I couldn't tell you any of the lyrics. I think it? everybody just assumes that you've read the lyrics. You don't need to point it out like every single time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's there's a whole like there's a whole lot of social commentary thing about like uh, communities, and so it's almost like being a bit disparaging about the community she grew up in. A little way, it's kind of being a bit of like there's a little bit of a uh, well, the whole lines that are, I got mine now. Won't you go get yours? We never open doors, so we neglect. We don't protect the ones that's left. People never really seem to care. And then they cry out, my people, why aren't we treated equal as we flee? We flee our own communities. We leave our family in poverty and then blame it on another. Is there is a little bit of like, sort so of... I, 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 think, I think it's almost the opposite of that. I think she, she's kind of taking on a persona there that mm-hmm. is in reference to other artists that have come from difficult backgrounds. Because the whole point of this song is like, 
she is it's kind of a diss track towards people who do that who forget where they came from right who become famous and then don't contribute back to the ones that their seek community and then they forget yeah. harlem exactly yeah. and i think that is something that is very close to her heart like people becoming famous and then just forgetting about where they came from because I mean, you'll see her across her career, across this season, you'll see her constantly kind of fighting against doing that herself. And she does it almost immediately. Almost as soon as she becomes famous, she starts setting up like charities and funds and stuff like that. But we'll we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, I I almost feel uh, mildly silly because you guys are saying you guys can't follow the lyrics at all. Uh, no. When I thought I was unique in that. But I guess my bigger point is that that also applies to pretty much every bit of music uh, ever. Uh, which is just like lyrical deafness. Just like, I just hear these songs and I just hear absolutely nothing. Nothing goes into my brain apart from then like a word or a short little line, you know? I have to literally sit there, read the lyrics along with it to even have even the beginnings of an idea as to what they're saying. Yeah, I, I get bits and pieces and then on the second listen... Because I know those bits and pieces, mm. I get other bits and pieces, and very slowly over multiple listens, I can sort of like I collate a basic idea of what the song is kind I, of about. I, or I can listen, and I've talked before about there's been songs that I could know every word to, but not know what the song's about. You know that whole thing. I'm yes. just hearing sounds. Uh, did a bit of reading. Could be an ADHD thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Apparently that's a, apparently that's a thing. There's a whole thing. Like apparently a lot of people with ADHD just like just can't absorb lyrics. It's well, uh, and 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 stuff that they read. It's like a reading comprehension thing. Yeah, I definitely have that. Like, I will read a page three times sometimes when I'm reading. I'm not saying oh, I got ADHD. I'm just saying like well, if TikTok says you traits. do, mate, you do. Just remember. Oh, exactly. oh, is that it? Remember, yeah, remember yeah, that. yeah. They'll yeah, say yeah. the most broad things. Do you breathe sometimes? You might have ADHD. Do you leave piles the- of stuff in your house? That's an ADHD <laughs> thing. Do you have piles? Oh, these piles of laundry next to me. <laughs> Hannah's got ADHD. If you've got piles, you might have ADHD. Um, little glimpse into Lucas's home life. <laughs> she doesn't let me do the laundry. Just to, just oh, to really? not make it sound like I force it upon her. She, I, if, every time I try and do it, she tells me I do it wrong. So Weapon, Weaponised incompetence. That's I, I'm, I, oh, think, yeah. I think, The thing is, I think I'm perfectly good at it. Okay, I, think, right I think I'm perfectly competent. Yeah, but you, you think you're good at everything, don't you? I'm, I am good at <laughs> But yes, I... Uh, but especially with this album, I've just been like it. So even more so, the whole the whole fact that the lyrics or the vocals is just a, a, a an instrument, and that some of the ones that I like more are the ones that are much slower. Or when we go to the next album, not quite as uh, dense and rap influenced, and more just sing singing sing songs. Yeah, yeah. So let's songs. also be absolutely clear on like how I listen and know what the lyrics are. Um, let's take the previous four seasons, right? Uh, Muse, Manic Street Preachers and Radiohead, bands I've been listening to for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Billie Eilish, very apparent what the lyrics are because they're produced in a very clear, intelligible way. Even you didn't really struggle with the lyrics on Billie Eilish. With this, though, I was literally having to sit there and I was sitting there with my eyes closed trying to go, right, I'm going to follow a whole verse. Mm. And and even if I can can follow the words, it doesn't like, I can't remember them. Do you know what yeah, I mean? I By mean, the next verse, I have no idea. Be. By the next line, I have no idea what the last line was, almost. Like, <laughs> so I can't then build a narrative in my head sort of thing, because by yeah, the yeah. four lines in, I've forgotten line one, or it hasn't sort of gone in. This is, uh, it sort of brings up a point, though, that do you think you might be really thick? 
No, I think I, I think that's being pretty uh, ableist, mate. Actually, I've got you know, so it's a it's a it's, no, I don't think ADHD. it's ADHD. You know, think, I was I diagnosed at a young age, and I think no. you're being pretty savage, actually. No, well, the thing is, they didn't tell you had ADHD. They said you, the doctors they said you were thick. I yeah, didn't they just I put a big rubber stamp pretty, on your forehead that said thick? I think that's really harsh. Actually, <laughs> I think that's really harsh. Jan, this one's thick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Bring the stamp. <laughs> She's just like, oh. um, when the album came out, the reaction was mid, mid, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trend, trending positive, but I think a lot of that is like retrospective reviews that are looking back after the score came out, going like, oh no, you can see a bit of uh, this or whatever. It's got some interesting aspects. It's clearly very competent. It's not anything particularly special. There's some interesting use of samples. They're all good rappers. The standout is obviously Lauren Hill. Many people suggested that she go solo, ditch the other two, do her own thing. That is referenced on the lyrics on the score a few times as well. Okay. And it didn't it didn't sell particularly well. It was not considered much of a commercial success. Where do you think it charted in the UK? 17. No, it didn't. 17 is too high. 122. Yeah, 17 seems too good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and on the US R&B hip-hop album chart, so still quite a narrow sort of field there. It's not like we're talking about the Billboard Top 200 albums or whatever. Charted 62 on the hip-hop R&B chart. So right. th- I think the trio felt in general that their vision had been compromised. Too much control given to the producers, to the record label. Too much control taken away from them. One of the big things, you know, that uh, that aggression, that attitude, that slight trend towards more gangster rap, that was at the insistence of their management. Because right. that style was so popular at the time. That isn't really what they wanted to do. I mean, what are the contemporaries at this time? I don't know enough about the genre to... To know who was sort of who are the big names at this point? Uh, Tupac, um, LL Cool J, Ice Cube. You have like the West Coast stuff, and you have the gangster rap sort of stuff. Um, and you know, Fuji's were trying to kind of fit their way into there, trying to figure out where they were. And I think yeah. a lot of people like were whispering in their ear, like, "You need to do this to be popular." And then it turned out to actually not really be popular. So if you've got Ice Cube, presumably NWA have already been and gone. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it was very early 90s, if not. That's a lot but, longer um, a gap then between NWA finishing and Dr. Dre doing solo stuff. No, but, well, but, but Dr. Dre does a lot of production yeah, before I know he's a producer he does, like, before solo he does album albums, work, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah I just yeah, really absolutely. didn't realise how, how long that was in between. It's interesting that you say that they had all that pressure to be more in that, because you can see the glimpses of like interesting uh, stuff wanting to come through. And I'm not saying that the gangster rap style is, isn't interesting, because um, the aggression I quite liked, actually, on this album. But when you've got those bits of jazz and stuff coming through, you're like... yeah. Okay, there is something here, but yeah, and then you've but but like this album is just quite scattershot, isn't it? You've got and then there's after every song, if not after every two songs, you've got a minute of talking and you know, the little yeah. instant, um, which I guess was what they were trying to fit into because a lot of the albums had that kind of stuff out there. I, I'm not saying that but the, the then, score doesn't have that. Yeah, stuff, the score but, has that. You know, the yeah, score has does. all those things. Um, and, I, you know, you say, like, there's all these interesting little things poking through, like the, the jazz influences and stuff like that. I think that's the stuff that the record label Rough House saw, because they basically had a choice. We can drop Fuji's or we can give them another chance. And they decide to give them another chance. And what they do in early 1995 is they give Fuji's $135,000 
and also complete creative control. Right. Okay. And so Fuji's take the money and they build and they their own oh. little recording studio in the basement of Wyclef Jean's uncle's house. Wyclef moved into a bedroom upstairs uh, because he was kicked out of his uh, house by his religious father for creating sinful music, which mm. I think is, you know, fair enough. Uh, but also they got really comfortable in their little niches. Like, so basically Pras knew that he was not as gifted as the other two, right? His verses were always shorter. He was not as musically competent, but he had a good, uh, like a good ear for what could be a hit and he had a good eye for business. So that was his area. He was kind of like on the business end of stuff. Wyclef Jean could play piano and guitar, uh, which the others couldn't. So he kind of focused on the more musical aspects of it. And then Lauren Hill is just, you know, like Lauren Hill. She's by far the best singer. She's by far the best rapper. She's by far the best writer. And also just like kind of the star in terms of how cool she was, and you know, and like, and, yeah. and, and the public perception of her. So they took it slow. They relaxed into it. They began recording in June 1995, and that recording period lasted until November of 1995. They put no pressure on themselves, all vibes, and then the score was released on February the 13th, 1996, almost exactly two years after Blunted on Reality. It's 13 tracks and 61 minutes. So they've shaved off 10 minutes, but they've also shaved off five tracks, which I think is quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's produced by Fuji's and Jerry Duplessis, Diamond D, John Forte, Sean King, Warren Riker, and Salam Remy. But importantly, those were all invited to collaborate by Fuji's rather than by a label or by their management. Yeah. Um, and I think you end up with a much more successful album. But very, very briefly, the first, you know, first impression of an album around this time would have been potentially the, the record cover. The artwork is very interesting. Uh, it looks like a poster for a Godfather movie. It does. Yeah, yes, it's, it it's does. a similar, if not exactly the same font. Um, and that kind of comes from Lauren, who has this very cinematic sense of the world, but also a cinematic sense of music. And I suppose you could argue that she kind of comes from the cinema. Before the first Fuji's album is even out, she was in... Sister Act Two, one of cinema's finest achievements. Yeah. So, yeah. but so it's she on has par that. with Godfather, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's similar, you know, similar. Yeah. Um, what did Lauren, I've got a quote from Lauren Hill. She talks about this album. She said, "It's an audio film. It's like how radio was back in the 1940s. It tells a story, and there are cuts and breaks in the music. It's almost like a hip hop version of Tommy, like what the Who did for rock music. So that idea of it kind of being cinematic." permeates through the whole record i think um i tell you what those little between quite a few of the songs there's like a boom, like what, like what you'd hear in a plane when they turned on the special seatbelts that sign uh, it does sound like that it also what? sounds like something your car would make as a noise doing and when you're I driving your car every time i'm like did my car just make a beep <laughs> yeah what what also the sirens <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, was too, I mean, we've all been yeah, caught yeah. out by yeah. a siren when we listen to music. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, was, yeah. I was walking, I was listening to this album, walking through London. And I heard sirens, and was like, "Am I doing? I need to get out of the way." Am yeah, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that boop though, it also what it also does it, classically for a projectionist is it denotes a real change in cinema. Boop, you need to change the real. So it happens every so often. It's when you get instead another, of a fake change. 
It's like a real one. Good. Yes, that's good. I thought so- about doing that one, Lucas, <laughs> as soon as he said it. And then I, I edited my myself. Um, it's, but- it's, it's, you think you censored dip- yourself, surely. You didn't edit it. You didn't do it and then <laughs> cut the words out. <laughs> it's when you dip in and out of story mode of the album because the interludes return. Um, it, it even starts with a now for the feature presentation announcement. Um, mm. uh, the music video for Killing Me Softly is them all sat in a cinema watching a movie, I think. So, yeah, it's it's all there and it's all ki- it's kind of a concept album in, in some ways. There's like a bit of a narrative. There's loads of shared themes and there's there's neat tricks like the in the intro track works into its verses every single song on the album that you're about to hear all of the tracks blend into one you'll often hear a bit from the next track at the end of the track you're listening to um which i think conceptually is very interesting but how does it sound how does it sound in comparison to blunted on reality i think it sounds more accessible in a number of places but it also Mm. sounds less like a rap album in a number of places which is it kind does, of what's yeah. interesting, right? Which we'll get to when we get to all the various songs. But uh, I mean, I preferred it. We all preferred it, right? It's better. We all yeah. preferred it. It sounds yeah. better is what it sounds. It's, yeah. a, it's a much more uh, cohesive and successful album, like as a whole. And, uh, and I think this just really shows off Lauren Hill's voice. And it's just, in general, the albums, it's still got all of like, still go, it still goes hard, guys. It goes um, hard. It goes, it goes hard. Yeah. Um, but it, it's still, it's a lot more soulful. Um, and, um, and there's a sketch about a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> yeah, that's not Ge- Genuinely not, makes me laugh, that sketch. I it think does, it's really funny. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there are some funny moments on it, on, on what's quite a serious album, like the very end when he's doing the credits. It's funny. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. It's it's much more chill than Blunted. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because Blunted, you know, would be well chill. Yeah, you think doing well a chilled. blunt symbol, yeah. and he's and he's describing it as well. It's it's um it's much more sample based. It's full of samples and interpolations, which I'll, I'll pluck out a few. Uh, there's some tracks with live instruments, but some of it is just purely samples. And it's interesting you said like, um, you know, there are it's not really a hip hop album, or it's less of a hip hop album, um. I'm I'm going to rephrase that slightly for my take, which is that it's more than a hip-hop album. Mm. I think it is a hip-hop album, but it's so much more than that. There's so much more focus on soul and R&B, and there's more melody. And it's actually more political than Blunted on Reality. But I think because it's packaged in a much easier listen, it maybe isn't as immediately apparent that it's so much more political. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, you've got you've potentially got a lot of angry lyrics in there, but they're not presented as shouted at you. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. Therefore, exactly. it's it's not as uh, hitting the nail on the head. So obviously, I guess it's that thing. It's smuggling it in, isn't it? It's that mm. thing we've talked about before. Yeah. I mean, unsurprisingly, I didn't really pick up on the fact that the lyrics are more political because I didn't really pick up on the lyrics. At all, until I've read them when doing my notes this afternoon. But that's what I'm here for. I'm here to inform you that the lyrics are more political on this than blunted on reality. And how do you feel about that now? Do you, do you feel like it, was, it would have been easy? If, if I'd said, which album is the more political of the two, do you think just purely on Sonics, you would have gone for the score or you would have gone for blunted? I would have gone for the first one. Just right, sounds exactly. Sounds because more. it sounds mm. angrier, yeah. But actually, I'm telling you now that the uh, the opposite of that is true, which I think is really interesting. Um, 
And also, this one is just full of bangers that we all know from our childhood as well. Yeah, which, yeah, which it helps. helps. It helps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which helps. I think, Lucas, yeah. did you pick Ready or Not? Is that is that your pick? I picked two, right? I picked... Uh, I don't remember. Yes. Does it matter? Yeah, I, think, I, think I remember. Did. No, it yes. doesn't. But, but someone picked Ready or Not. Yeah. And so that's the first bit we're going to play from the score. Here we go. Ready or Not. Ready or Not. Oh, Here I come. Oh, you can't hide. Gonna find you and make you yeah. want me. Now that I escape, sleep, walk away. Yeah. Those who can relate know the world they kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break. When they meet their 400 pound mate, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun in the ghetto, of course. When get the up and on their horse, kick around, drinking moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete, but it is cease, but no, don't weep. Why Clef's in a state of sleep, thinking about the robbery that I did last week. Money in the bag, banker look like a drag. I wanna play with Pelicans from here to Baghdad. Gun blast, think fast, I think I'm hit. My girl pinched my hips to see if I still exist. I think not. I'll send a letter to my friends. A born again hooligan, only to be king again. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Gonna find you and make yeah. you yeah. want yeah. I play my enemies like a game of chess where I rest. No stress. So immediately, out of step with the hip hop world at the time. You know, we talked about Tupac, LL Cool J, and Ice Cube, and all of that stuff. This is so much more soulful. It's so much more pop as well. I think it it has more in common with records from the sixties and seventies than it does with anything that was out around the time. And it's all that stuff. It's all that music that Lauren grew up with, right? Yeah, and it's the, it's, it's would it would this be kind of the birth of that? You've got the the verse, which is rapped lyrics, and then you've got a chorus, which is melodic singing, and then you do that, and you switch between those two. Is this kind of? The I, start I don't think of it's that? the birth of that, but it's certainly one of the most popular examples of that, and also one mm. of the most popular examples where the chorus isn't. It's not a sample. It's sung by yeah. one of the members of the band. It's an interpolation, which I yeah. didn't know. Which is mad that this is like one of their biggest. This is one of their big boys. One of their big songs. Yeah. That you, do, you know, when I mentioned to people, I, I were doing, we're doing Lauren Hill. They've gone, oh, ready or not, or they've gone, oh, what's the other one again? Just scroll killing, down, me right? killing me killing softly, killing me softly. Um, yeah, yeah. And so to find out that it was it was a re a reinterpolation, or you know, whatever you want to call it, a cover, a soft cover. It's an interpolation, uh, officially, because that's when you take a version and you sing it yourself, but you change something about it as well. Right. Uh, yeah, to learn that is 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 interesting, uh, especially when we also get to Killing Me Softly, which I learned the same fact about. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that's inter- that, well, interestingly, that is something else completely. We'll get yeah, to we'll get I know, to I know, it, I know. But, I know, I know. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it, yeah, it's interesting that that, and I, I reckon if you went to 90, I mean, I think it's probably just also what's, what's, what's catchy, choruses, but if you went to most people, oh, do that Ready or Not song, they go, Ready or Not, yeah, yeah, and they go, the verses, and they go, um, they, I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember the verses, but like, I do yes. remember these verses, I remember this song vividly from, mm. you know, the radio, but yeah, it's the I chorus. didn't remember yeah. that the verses were even rapped. I thought it was just a pop song. 
know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is it is much more pop, isn't it? And oh, you yeah. can tell that from the running time as well. Like, the, I think the thing about Blunted is they were so focused on everybody's got to have the same number of verses, right? right. Like, you, you, you've got to have Wyclef, then you have Praz, then you have Lauren, then you have Wyclef again, which means you then need to do Praz again, and then you need to do Lauren again. And so the songs ended up quite long, quite bloated. Whereas on here, because they've all burrowed down into what they're all good at, they're quite happy to let someone do less or someone do more or whatever. And here yeah. it's pretty even, right? I mean, I think they all get a verse, but Lauren is doing that chorus. And yeah, the chorus is the in- interpolation. Do, do you want to hear what it's from? Because yeah. this, um, this song has an interpolation and a sample. It has two. The interpolation uh, is uh, Ready or Not, Here I Come, Can't Hide from Love by the Delphonics. take the chorus from from ready or not here i come um by the delphonics the sample is from enya uh the oh. irish new age musician from a song called bodicea here we go here's no, a little bit bodicea no, 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 by no. enya you will you will be able to hear where it's from and you're right lucas nino nino Explain why we should immediately be calling the police, Lucas. So they use that sample without asking permission. Bastards. Fucking it's an un- <laughs> uncredited sample. Unsanctioned. <laughs> and I think Enya was going to sue, right? She was ready. She was ready with her lawyers. And then when ready she found not. out that Fuji's weren't gangster rap, she allowed it. Which is weird. It's a weird delineation to make to go there's not a gangster rap so it's fine they're not gangsters there were so many um sort of like fears around how aggressive and violent gangster rap was and how kind of like people perceived it to be so tied up in gang culture which was you know killing real people you know on the streets uh that people did not want to be associated with with gangster Mm. rap but because that's not what this was Enya said, do you know what? It's fine. Let it through. Um, you can obviously hear the interpolation and the sample pretty easily in the original song. Hanging a little thread between those two things to make them both work together is is pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, it's very cool. It really works. And it's just, yeah, it's very even, yeah, because under, under the rapping of the verses and stuff, you've got it's very that soulful sound and stuff. It's interesting because this, this um, track does deal with, like, killing people and and that kind of stuff because it's got it's got the line that jumped out at me which is if i could rule the world everyone would have a gun so that mm-hmm. stood out well, but then he I, goes I, followed I, on I agree by with that you know if you give everyone yeah, a gun sure. then everyone's safe from the guns yes exactly. well it's kind of talking about that because it's then followed up by the line about giddying up on their horse in it talk and it's kind of showing that that american quote-unquote dream of idolizing the wild west and they talk about it later on the song cowboys 
um, uh, that actually it's, it's the opposite. He's sort of saying the opposite of that to an extent. It's cool. Um, it's kind of ironic, it's like, right? It's like a satire yes, kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Thank you for saying what I should yeah, have said. Yeah, it's all good. Um, it's all good. But which is interesting when you've got that line about ready or not, here I come. And then um, it's almost, it's almost in the verses, maybe it's talking about breaking out from jail and getting revenge, but then, or is it finding a lover? I don't know. It's cool. It's a, it's a lot more nuanced song than I expected. I just thought, oh yeah, it's just that. So what they one. do, that's what they do uh, reference in the lyrics. They use the words heebie-jeebies. That's always welcome, isn't it? Which is remarkable. It's always welcome to hear heebie-jeebies. But heebie-jeebies is something that I used to have. Isn't so it I, that famous um, punk I've club in New that. York, isn't it? Heebie-jeebies? He talks about it. It's something to do with you used to have some... Yeah, I used to overheat and hallucinate as a child, and, and then my parents called it the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so hearing the words heebie-jeebies gives me the heebie-jeebies. In fact, it was just they didn't notice that you had a fever. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he's got the heebie-jeebies. No, he's having a. F- yeah. He's got a fever. Give no, him some fucking unwell. paracetamol. Seriously no, he's just unwell. got a silly case of the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. Give your son yeah. some medicine, Lucas. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's why you can't read lyrics and you've got piles of washing everywhere, is because you've got the heebie-jeebies. Oh, maybe got the, mm. maybe got the he's heebs. Got, he's got a debilitating case of the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if the Bee Gees had a song called the heebie-jeebies. Maybe they do. Maybe they the do. I'm convinced by the it's that club in New York. I'm convinced it is. Um, yeah, there's some very interesting stuff going on in the verses. Wyclef uses it to kind of talk about the poverty that he grew up in, the the hardship, not being able to fake your way out of that. Um, there's references to like how thin he is, and it alludes to his past of potential crime and violence. And then Lauren uses it as kind of like a braggadocio thing, um, where she's just like, "Hey, I'm the best, and you all suck," uh, which is <laughs> which is kind of cool. It's like a warning to her enemies. And then Pras does more or less the same thing, but from like the. Uh, perspective of the group i i I almost see them as two distinct parts the chorus and the verses because there's like a there's a possessiveness to this song they change the original lyrics and 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 she's singing things like i'm gonna find you and make you want me um as though it's kind of like a a a desperate plea and and at the time wyclef and lauren they're kind of singing to each other here as their relationship is sort of failing the um the vocal take that they used on the record is the one where Lauren Hill is in tears while recording it. Um, I saw she was in tears. I didn't. I didn't quite get what. I didn't. I didn't see why she was. What the context was between why. We will get into it after we finish with the record, I think. But there's a lot of Wyclef and Lauren sort of like beef, and it's kind of ultimately the reason why uh, Fuji's break up. Um, very Fleetwood Mac, isn't it? It's very Fleetwood Mac. It is rumors. No, it's true. Is it? Yeah. Uh, we should we should we should talk about we should talk about Lauren's writing and flow a little bit. And I'm going to choose a song to do it because it is impeccable. There really is no way to do this in an audio format, right? But if you do get the time, check out the rhyme chart for her verse on this song. Uh, and I've just singled out like a little bit from it. Um, the the full lyric. I play my enemies like a game of chess where I rest. No stress if you don't smoke cess, lest I must confess my destiny's manifest. Now, it's very easy. We know that chess, rest, stress, cess, lest, confess, and manifest all rhyme. They're all like halfway through or in the middle of, uh, halfway through, middle, like end of a line, whatever. Mm. And then you realize that in two of those three lines, you have an internal 
rhyme structure. I play my enemies like a game of chess, play in game rhyme. And then also where I rest, no stress if you don't smoke. No, don't and smoke all rhyme as well. So you have internal rhyme structures there. And then you have a third rhyming structure, a second internal rhyming structure inside that whole little bit where it says, I play my enemies like a game of chess where I rest, no stress if you don't smoke, cess, lest I must confess my destinies manifest. Enemies and destinies rhyme as well. Mm-hmm. So you have another rhyme between the first and the third uh, line that makes up a second internal rhyme and the third rhyme scheme of of just just those three lines. Very cool. Yeah. Incredible writing. All of those little rhyme structures that she's so good at. And then, of course, bless you if you represent the foo, but I'll hex you with some witch's brew if you're do-do voodoo. I can do what you do easy, believe me. Speaks for itself. It's just uh, yeah, fantastic. It's excellent. <laughs> there was another one earlier in the uh, on the on the last album that was a a Lauren verse, and there was a ending every single uh, line with with the same sound. I can't remember where it was now. I've forgotten. I've, I've lost it. Oh, it was on Nappy Heads that every single word in her verse ended with Aka. It was like Sonaka, Aka, Aka. <laughs> which is which is difficult as well. <laughs> that's, that's a difficult mm. one to do. Um, She's an incredible writer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what else would we pick? Oh, I picked the first single, um, Fuji La. another one that like uh and i'm sure you you noticed this when you looked up stuff about it it's another one that's like stitched together from like other things it's another one that like the last one is both an interpolation and a sample um so the ooh la 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 well from something isn't it that's an interpolation yeah let's do the sample first uh which is if loving you is wrong i don't want to be right by ramsey lewis let's have a little listen to that That's it. You can hear it, basically, right? Right. Yeah. I because they've really just sped it. it up. Do 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 do. Oh they've, yeah. Okay. They've fine. sped that up. Um, and then the interpolation is "Ooh la la la" by Tina Marie. So let's listen to that.
chorus is is more or less the same. Lauren actually puts a more interesting melody on the second half of it, where she goes like down, and she obviously changes the lyrics, which is what and makes she goes, it la, interpolation. La, 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 la. Just yeah, that. exactly. She does That's, again, just pipes of pipes of an angel. Um, but again, similar to the second one, very interesting to me. Ramsey Lewis was an American jazz pianist, and that composition is from the early seventies. She's a what? Pianist. Oh. <laughs> Tina Marie uh, is an American R and B pop singer. So you've got something that's quite classical in composition and something much more modern from two kind of disparate sides of music in some ways. But the Fuji's ability to again bring those two elements together and make something that works is quite remarkable. I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've definitely heard this one before. I feel like I have. I certainly haven't heard that shite track you just played, it, but so I've heard this version, uh, the, the good one. Um, yeah. It does annoy me that it's called Fuji La and it doesn't use Fuji La. It uses Fula. It, uh, it does. Like, no, in, in the background, you can hear the, the background vocals are saying Fu. Yeah, but then it's going Fu La La La. It's still not going oh, yeah, Fuji La La. Well, she's talking about the. Uh, La, this is like sort of a, a track about how great it is to be in Fuji's, and and she's talking. Their la is kind of like, uh, um, it's like a fe- feeling good. My la, it, that it's got a line about that. I can't remember where it is, but the, so the Fuji la is is talking about that. Um, also, old Macca gets a shout out in this song, doesn't he? Does he say 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 like Paul McCartney? Yeah, she says, and I, and I do love tropes in verses like that that will say something like. Um, I'm terminating like Schwarzenegger. Do you know what I mean? Just right, something yeah, that, yeah. for no reason, just calling out, I'm doing this like this person. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's totally unrelated yeah. and it's fun. I don't know. I quite the like other, The other thing, though, is, it, is there's quite a lot of like violent horror imagery in this in this song, right? I think on Wyclef's verse, there's, there's um, Blackula comes to the ghetto, Jackson Acura, Stevie Wonder sees crack babies becoming enemies of their own families. Which is an alarming sort of sort of verse, and there's references to Babylon and Zion, which which Lauren will come back to in her solo work, but here is used to speak about race relations in nineties America, which you know is interesting for such an upbeat banger. Yeah, the music was written for a Spike Lee movie and ended up not getting used, and they had this ready to go so a lot of the vibe of the second album as a whole is based on this song this was kind of their touchstone for like oh this is how the second album is going to sound for us right this is the kind of thing that we're going to do um and just another example of lauren being completely obsessive over her vocals she recorded this song for a week just going over and over the same sections getting them absolutely perfect took a whole week to do it it's interesting again that another because this was a single, isn't it? That another first one single, yeah, is the music for it was kind of just like you know almost not stock music, but you know it's a music that was just already there, and they just yeah. went like that. And then obviously you've got all the sampleage and and reinterpolations going on on Ready or Not. And then you've got Killing Me Softly. It's interesting how much of the popular music on this album is not wholly original. That happens a lot in hip hop, though, right? There's there's tracks that would have come out that um, I can't think of any examples. Uh, uh, 
I'm going to pick a white guy, but Eminem were like toy soldiers. Like that, <laughs> do you know what sake. I mean? Something like that. I know, I'm sorry. But like, I'm, you know, something like that when you're like, well, I've not actually heard. You, or never Dido. Heard Wait, before, go you... back a bit. Oh, mate, go to the Dido one. Use the yeah, Dido yeah. One. I'm exactly, also yeah. going to pick a white guy who, yeah. who made one of, of the most famous hip hop albums of all time. Because again, there's a delineation between what is hip hop and what is rap. But uh, DJ Shadow made Introducing, which is one of the, I think it's the first album to be, ever be made entirely out of samples. Right. Like there is not a single bit of originally written music on it. It's all taken from you know. It's all stitched. It's Frankenstein's album, isn't it? Basically, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and and you say like you know, it's surprising how much of the uh, the popular ones are you know stitched together pieces of other popular compositions or just other compositions in general. But Lucas, you picked Family Business, which I'll I'll play a bit uh, of next. That's all samples as well. So it's 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 just the whole album. Whoa! I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was born, nothing is promised. My life is filled with less hope than the prophecies in Nostradamus. Omega marks the ending of predictability, birth of agility. Who will it be to test me and expose the futility? Iron like a lion from Zion. Stop trying so hard. I think I smell your brain cells frying. Families behind you if you're worthy Philosophies developed deep in the back streets of dirty jersey Troops with scully hats and timberland boots No more breakdancing for loops Again, hustling shit in the garden state It grows stink weeds and criminals Government funds are minimal, a flesh is subliminal These days, it's hard for we to find peace of mind Between insanity and sanity, there lies a thin line Some dwell in hotels with Jezebels A stone age and fall a victim to the plague Unclean bad dreams, oh I cleft being a fiend One last Kiss from my sweet serpentine Eliminate, break, navigate To rejuvenate, thought to suicide With my nickel plate Reconsolation came from my enemy friend Who said family don't bend We stay silent to the end Now who would think that your best friend Would be your worst enemy And your enemy your best friend Stare into the air there was a bit there I couldn't tell you what the line is because there's so bloody many of them but it, it sounds a little bit just the cadence the way he sings sounds like he's stumbling over his words and has to like make them up as he goes along <laughs> oh really <laughs> he kind of like slows just slows down I mean it's just the cadence but it's just uh, yeah it's funny it makes me laugh when I hear it um, I just like this one because it's just got a good it's just got again no idea what they're singing about no, no that's good fine. It's got a nice, it's got, it's got a good, good sound. I like the, like the nylon string guitar going throughout it. Yeah. Uh, there's a good cadence to it all. Like it's very dense, and so mm. yes, the 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 rhythm that is created by the by the rapping is 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 nice to listen to. Not that I have any idea what the words yeah, are. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's yeah. I completely agree. It's, you've also picked the only one I think we've picked out that have features on it because um, the first verse is is by Omega. And then John Forte joins on like the fifth verse or something. This one is so dense, um, but yeah, it has. I, like, I I love the verses. I like especially like in juxtaposition to a very laid back track, right? Like that that acoustic guitar is a sample from an Italian composer, I think. It was, that guitar is like looped over the drums, and um, it's about the mafia, and it sounds kind of. Sicilian, right? It sounds kind of like Italian acoustic guitar, and they're talking about the mafia. It's called Family Business on the album where the front cover looks like The Godfather. Yeah, 
It's he, all, he mentions, it, you know, it's all gelling. Haitian, here, Haitian Sicilians or something like that, and he's kind yeah, of drawing yeah. a line there. Somewhere. I think they're drawing yeah. a line between gang violence and mafiosos, or or like, or that there, there was a lot of people in the rap community who like wished they were part of the mafia or whatever. I think they're calling out those people, you know. Well, it's yeah. two different, very different types of gangsters, isn't it? I guess. In it, oh, that's nice, Steve. One is with an mm. A, and one is with an an ER. Mm. Yeah, mm. but then yeah, and then you. And it fades out and you get another sample of something. And then it fades out again. And then you've got Lauren singing a, a version of Killing Me Softly to Boop. an extent at the end. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Which I don't... And she's talking about sound boys. I don't understand. What's a sound boy? Uh, well, okay. So, I mean, the end is slightly interesting. And I assume it's what Lucas really wants to talk about, which is the skit that happens at the end, surely. You love the skits, don't you? You love the skits in the interludes, right? I just don't get the point. Okay. Well, it's telling the story uh, in a way that isn't like musical, I suppose. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of like older rap albums were supposed to feel like you're hanging out with these people. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's as prevalent. I mean, I don't listen to enormous amounts of rap to be able to tell you. But a lot of older rap albums that I am familiar with, like you know, Dr. Dre, two thousand and one, and early Eminem albums, some great examples, mm. uh, have got skits for days, right? And yes. then I don't know. Not that. I listen to them anymore, but more recent Kanye West albums, not so many skits. But the earlier ones do, right? Do, I don't Wake know. Up, do, Mr. I don't West. know, mate, because I've not listened to them. Yeah, so the 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 early Kanye albums have skits. Um, and okay, so one of the most famous hip hop albums in recent memory, "Good Kid, Mad City" by Kendrick Lamar, is a concept album about a, like a, a day in the life of. Of this guy, and yeah, there's loads of skits on it. There's loads of spoken word interludes and storytelling and stuff. It's just part of the hip hop, part of the rap album lineage, I think. Um, but after the skit, you do, yeah, you get something slightly interesting, Steve. It's, it's the melody of "Killing Me Softly," but with different lyrics mm. sung by Lauren, which is strumming dub plates with our fingers, eliminate sounds with our song. Killing a sound boy with this sound, uh, taking sound boys' lives with this dub. And so I think that would have been a part of the original version of, of Killing Me Softly. Um, Killing Me Softly with his song is a song by Laurie Lieberman, which was written by Charles Fox and Norman Gimbel. And then a couple of years later, a couple, couple of years after that version was released, um, the version recorded by soul and R&B legend Roberta Flack was like a huge hit. I'll play, I'll play a clip of the Roberta Flack version of the song. Here it is. Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song Killing me softly with his song Telling my whole life I'm going to skip forward a little bit. I'm going to skip forward to see what's going on later. I pray that he would finish, but he just kept right on strumming my pain with his fingers. One time. You can't, you can't not do it. Two Why times. Sean? <laughs> Why, Why Clef Sean? So, uh, Fuji's made a version of that in the same line as Ready or Not and Fuji La. So it had a lot more instrumentation 
and it was much more dance hall oriented. It had a rap verse by Bounty Killer, and Wyclef described it as going hard. Okay, mm. uh, and they were also going to change the lyrics of the chorus to focus on the kind of anti-drug, anti-poverty slant. So it would have been an interpolation. Lauren would have changed the lyrics. It was called Killing Them Softly. So they even changed the title. The writers of the original, Fox and Gimbal, denied the change of the lyrics because it's up to the writers whether or not they'll allow someone to interpolate in the way that a lot of artists do. Right. But they, they did say, no, we're not going to let you do that. You can do a cover of it if you want. Um. And so they did, and, and it was the last thing that they recorded for the score. And it was Praz, who has always been there, and he is there, who said, we've got a lot of rap, we've done rap, let's just do a song. Uh, and they wanted to try breakbeat, which is what that drum loop is. And then they added a little dub reggae bass line that Wyclef wanted to work with. And then they added a little sample from a, a tribe called Quest, which is itself a sample from the psychedelic band Rotary Connection. It's that bit that goes, bow, 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 bow. Um, and then Lauren just sang a straight-up cover of the original song, um, and they pulled all of that together, uh, and it sounds like this. Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song Killing me softly with his song Telling my whole life with his words Killing me softly with his song Yo, this is why Absolute classic. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is interesting because this is probably their biggest song, right? Oh, uh, it's what uh, one of the biggest songs. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the biggest songs. Uh, yeah. It's very interesting that that is, is a straight up cover. That is because I didn't know that until yeah. until yeah. reading for this. Yeah, and that is you Same. know that is you know that means they're shit, really, doesn't it? It means they're shit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It I does, think really. I think I have heard the Roberta Flack version. I must have done, um, but this is the one I remember. Definitely familiar instrumentation on that Roberta Flack version. Like, it yeah. feels very familiar to me. The mad yeah. thing about the Fuji's version for me is how simple it is. I swear I remember it being, like, strings and kind of kind of big. 
And it's not. It's the drums, it's the bass, it's Lauren's voice, and that's it, right? Well, no, and yeah. then... Bow, 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 bow. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, of course, that little yeah. sample. And one time... I mean, yeah, I, I was laughing at the beginning, yeah, because she does this wonderful intro, and it's so soulful, and then it's like, yeah, hey, John, Whoa, I'm on, on this track. Hey, hey man, we're all... We're here. <laughs> also, also and then it's something... like, go on, Al. Also okay, something yeah. I'm not a fan of on rap albums is the, the need to constantly introduce oneself feels right, okay. wildly unnecessary. We know, we okay. bought your album. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But on the radio, that's very important. Oh, it is I very think. important. Uh, I mean, her yeah, singing yeah. voice is exceptional. I, I, oh. I, I mean, she's a very good rapper. I also think she's a very good singer, and I'd rather hear more of that. I mean, it is more to my taste, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, probably got all of it from her time in a choir, uh, a conference school, in, you know, yes. being taught by Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, oh, I, I thought you were so. being serious. Yeah. I thought you'd remembered something I'd said because, of course, she formed the gospel choir. In yes, her high I also school. do remember that because I did my research for this episode. But it's just funny because she was also in a film. This definitely has the the gospel influence, right? She does like a number of harmonies with herself that are drenched oh, in so reverb, good. and it sounds like it's in a church and and stuff. Yeah, and also um, there's just a bit where she just woes, which is showing off. Yeah, because she's not saying yeah, any yeah. words. She's just going, "Look at all the notes I can do." Yeah, she just does a little woeing. <laughs> Here are all the notes. Here are all yeah. the notes. <laughs> Allow me to demonstrate the notes. Here's A. That's singing. Here's a B. <laughs> it's, it's singing. Allow me to demonstrate the notes. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, you missed out. I told me demonstrating some notes. Uh, but there is there's something about the way she sings the lines that make it seem so sad. And then yeah. that melody over to the hip hop drum beat, for some reason, works so well. Like, it this is the it's it sounds so nineties it hurts um but it it is the it is the best version like considering it's a a cover of a cover in a way it does make me laugh because I also looked this all up but I, and I was the same as you Lucas I thought this was this was them they she they did it is them they so did, did do I. this song yeah. they did release this song mm. yeah. they demonstrated no, the I, notes like, on this song like, so did I until we did the research for this I had no idea it was a cover before we did this. That's yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is surprising because you know have you heard the Laurie Lieberman version it's like folk. No. Um, oh, is it's it? In, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. It's like an acoustic guitar, but it, it makes it's, so that just didn't chart. <laughs> and then the Roberta Flack one. Shall I find it? Yeah, sure. The, Go on, carry on. And then the Roberta Flack one gets to number one. And then yeah. this version, the best version, is number one in twenty countries. Oh, it's <laughs> like, insane. That's got to suck for like, Laurie Lieberman. We will, <laughs> we will, we will, go, we'll go into it uh, like a little bit later. I've saved that for a little bit later when we talk about the success of the album. Right? As well. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think that does go to show. Like, it's not always just the quality of the song; it's the arrangement as well, mm-hmm. right? It's the way yeah, you yeah. treat it has to be right. Here's a little bit of the Laurie Lieberman one, which I've never heard. This will be the first time I've heard it, guys. Here we go. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) I heard he sang a good song. I heard he had a style. Doesn't even start with the chorus. No, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm not about it. Somewhat, you know, it's about uh, her going to a Don McLean concert and feeling emotional about his singing, basically. That's the whole thing. Yeah, it's. So the Fuji's one is a cover of a cover of a song that's about another song by Don McLean right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's kind of written about American Pie yeah um, not the movie don't anyone ever don't just don't bother it's, no, it's low hanging fine. fruit stiffless mum dick fruit. in a pie fine. Um, I will just briefly call out uh, another track from the score which is their cover of No Woman No Cry which again which which we would have all known as a straight up cover right before we'd heard it 
Yes. Yes. No yeah, one yeah. cry. No, I thought this yeah. was an original. I thought this was okay. Well, let's play a little Robert bit of it. Marley. <laughs> Is his name Robert? You never think of that. Is his name Robert Marley? <laughs> it must be right. One time. Say, say, say. I remember when we used to sit in a government yard in Brooklyn. I think that's a great version. Um, it, it changes the lyrics to be more to do with like their background and their upbringing than it is Bob Marley's. Huge hit for them again. Um, and like it's a cover of a reggae song. And I think like it just helped me kind of put the album into some kind of context. I, I think the song draws another piece of string in the way that they've taken all these different kinds of black music and reinterpreted them while still treating them with this kind of reverence i think that's very interesting like it's it's all over the album there's there's hip-hop and there's soul and there's r&b and there's doo-wop and there's reggae and it's all blended together um which i think is really cool uh, i really enjoyed my time with this album an album mm. i'd never heard before in yeah. full i'd heard the hits and i've put this album on in full so many times over the past couple of weeks um what are like your brief thoughts on the album if if, if you have any I mean, Steve said about, um, I, I don't know how it hasn't come up, but Steve said it sounds so 90s. And the thing with all of this is it sounds so 90s. Like mm-hmm. I talked about it briefly on the, um, the, the intro episode, right, about unsyncopated lyrics, about that very particular style of, of mm. rap that was, you know, more prevalent in the 90s uh, and will always sound a little bit dated as a result of it. It always has that sort of sound that just I just think of, older music i don't think of i'm sure there's artists that sound like that today I'm sure there is because there's everything everywhere all at once and um but i, I think it's broadly all it's it's pr- it's pretty good it's not it's not something I, w- I would seek out you know uh i listen to quite a small amount of rap as it is and this isn't the type that i think i would necessarily seek out but you know yeah. there's some good songs and it is a bit of a shame that some of the songs i most like are the closer to pop almost i say it's a shame shame, it's a shame but it's you know it feels like uh missing missing you know what they're going for on most of it sort of thing i'm gonna be honest this is this sounds like i'm gonna damn it with faint praise it's an excellent easy listening album like you could just put this on in the background and it's and it's great um or you can pay attention to it you said that thing about oh it sounds very 90s it's another one of those things where kind of got some news for you does this sound very 90s or does the rest of the 90s sound like this mm. nice i don't know adam because i don't know enough about the genre <laughs> well this was such an influential album that i think a lot of people just ended up making their records to sound like the score by fuji's um before i get onto that though steve what's what, what are your like brief thoughts on on the score by oh. fuji's <laughs> fuji's 
<laughs> where Blunted on Reality was like kind of more scattershot. Um, I think this is, yeah, it's just a far more successful album. It's way more cohesive and like... Um, uh, we, <laughs> That's what we're doing there. It's the focal. It's the focus oh, okay. point going down to a much like narrower margin. Like this is Blunted on Reality. Like, okay, it's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but just little bits like, you know, at the end of Family Business and then it's got that little bit before it goes into Killing Me Softly. And like, mm. it, that's what I really like about this album is it's also considered and intertwined with itself, referencing songs, like you said, that are about to happen or have happened and, and stuff like that. And it just feels like a really cool, yeah, story. And um, it, yeah, like you said, and it just so happens to have like these hugely successful songs on it. Um, this is a this is a really great album. Like I won't I won't stick on Black on Reality again. No, I definitely will put the score back on. Yeah, I've I'm only just realised the score is a like a film score for fuck's sake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did I not mention? <sighs> I didn't mention that already. Yeah, that's okay. probably why I realised. Um, I, I, it does sound like I'm damning it with faint praise when I say it's like remarkably easy or like smooth listening experience. But I do think that is remarkable when you bear in mind that the score was released into a world where the Haitian refugee crisis was like at its peak. There was like huge political unrest in Haiti. The democratically elected president was overthrown in a coup d'etat. And there was a distinctly anti-Haitian climate in the US at the time. A A lot of people had to flee Haiti by boat. And when they reached the US... They were indefinitely detained, you know, um, through Guantanamo Bay, right? Exactly. The, the 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 CDC had declared Haitian Americans to be one of four risk factors for HIV infection. the The others were homosexuals, heroin addicts, and hemophiliacs. So they were the only ones that were like, "Oh, this race is you are at risk of HIV infection because of this race of people." Um, and and a, and so a lot of Haitians would just say that they were Jamaican or Car- or vaguely Caribbean uh, t- and keep their ethnicity secret uh, from others. So to have a Haitian-American band, one Haitian, one Haitian-American, another Haitian by association, uh, and have them confront some of those issues head-on in a way that was then made accessible to the masses is quite remarkable. Like, Ready or Not being one of the most played videos on MTV at the time and Pras rapping, I, refugee from Guantanamo Bay, dance around the border like I'm Cassius Clay, is incredible. That's an incredible thing to have happened in the culture, I think. And that's because the album strikes that kind of perfect balance between being confrontational, being fresh and experimental, and being hugely accessible to the mainstream. And I mean hugely ex- accessible. When a number one UK single for, like, let's like say an American-Haitian band. Yeah, yeah, A yeah, number crazy. one UK single is... It goes so far beyond that. Like, when the album came out, it was such a huge success. It gained a lot of positive reviews, right, and a lot of praise for, like, one for being an alternative to the prevailing trends in hip hop, but the commercial sex success was just something else. It went to number one in most of the countries it was released in the album, including the UK and the US. Over time, 
it has sold around 22 million copies worldwide, making it one of the biggest selling albums of all time. Um, just some facts about the commercial success of The Score by Fuji's. It's the best-selling album of all time by a rap group. It's the fifth most streamed hip-hop album of the 90s on Spotify. It's gone seven times platinum in the US. It stayed, it stayed in the top ten of the album chart for over six months. In the States? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was included in Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time. It won Hip Hop Album of the Year at the Grammys. It was an enormous success. And then the same thing happened with the singles from the album. And we'd all heard Killing Me Softly, obviously. And that's because it remains one of the best-selling singles of all time in the UK. There are very few singles that have sold more copies than Killing Me Softly. The song was so popular that when it came time to release their next single, Ready or Not, they had to delete Killing Me Softly so that it would be withdrawn from shelves and people couldn't buy it anymore. They didn't want Killing Me Softly to distract attention away from <laughs> Ready or Not, so they had to just nuke it. They had to they just were, go, no, we're destroying they were, it. They were worried about the competition of their own Themselves, song. yeah. Exactly. That's incredible. And then Ready or Not immediately went to number one as well. What do you mean by delete, though? What is de- We've talked about deleting before, haven't we? And I can't they, remember who... The, the shop has to take it off the shelves. Right, so delete and, means it's like a nomenclature. Yeah. It doesn't literally mean like deleting a file. No, it? it means it's gone. physically removing a, a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wouldn't have been files back in those days, for instance. Well, CDs, mate, have fucking files on them, don't they? But it wouldn't no. have been CDs, would it? What? No, it's etched in with a tiny little laser. Yeah, it's a file, though. It's not a file. Don't think so. I think hard drives are etched in with a tiny little thing. I can't open a CD and take out the, a piece of paper with the song on it. Yeah. So it's not a file, is it? Do you have a file Briefly, did you ever have like a little digital personal organiser when you were young? Oh, no. I did. No. I did. I oh, yeah, I did. Book. little digital address <gasps> book. No, I, no I, addresses oh, in it. I don't know. I had an iPhone 14 Pro. All right, shut okay. up. All right, Look, yeah, okay. the, uh, the, the, while we're on Killing Me Softly, something occurred to me is that I 100% knew it was called Killing Me Softly, right? Except mm-hmm. if you go on Spotify now, it's called Killing Me Softly with his song. But if you look at the back of the CD, it's called Killing Me Softly. And I think that's because in the brave new digital way of releasing music, in order for that to count for royalties towards the original, because it's a cover, I think it has to be the same title these days. I don't think you can change titles like that. So if you go on Spotify, it's called Killing Me Softly with his song. But back in the day, it was called Just Killing Me Softly. Why don't they get rid of that? And then that means they don't have to pay royalties and then win-win. Well, exactly. Yes, isn't that a good idea? Anyway, the score, the whole thing, just a huge success. Such a success, right, that Lauren Hill dropped out of college. Noi. Nee, no, nee, so the, ho- the whole wow. time yeah. Lauren was still studying, she was still living at home with her parents. She was 21. Um, and then the following year, after the album came out, in 19, uh, 1996 it came out, and then in 1997, Fuji's broke up, and Wyclef Jean blamed it on his tumultuous relationship with Lauren Hill and the fact that he married his wife, Claudinette, while still involved with Lauren. Yeah, that'll do it. That would, yeah, that'll, that'll probably why they that'll broke do it. up. But uh, to be fair, also, Lauren Hill had begun seeing Rohan Marley, son of Bob Marley, while still dating Wyclef Jean uh, and became pregnant with Rohan's baby. But Wyclef said that she was maybe not completely honest or clear to him on whose baby it actually was. 
whether it was Wirecleft's or Rohan. So the whole thing just kind of fell apart. And again, there's Praz just sat there watching all of this bollocks happening. Just going, like before can we just, just oh, yeah, can come we, on. Can we just come make on, some guys. music or something? Yeah. Um, in amongst that bollocks, uh, Lauren Hill sets up the Refugee Project, which is a non-profit outreach organisation that sought to transform the attitudes and behaviour of at-risk urban youth. And she bought her parents a new house on the same street that they lived in, and then she moved her family into her childhood home in South Orange. Um, we're obviously going to follow Lauren's career from there over the course of this season but to briefly tie up the legacy of Fuji's and the fates of Praz and Wyclef Jean Fuji's I've done a lot of reading uh, of a lot of writing about them they are regarded as one of the most influential and significant groups of the 90s if not all time uh, they have a huge undeniable influence on modern hip hop and R&B they are often considered to be the definitive alternative hip-hop act uh, and also the first of those kind of acts to break through to the mainstream. Um, they've been called the hip-hop Beatles in terms of their importance to the genre and they are also credited with removing the negative connotations around the word refugee, especially in regards to Haitian immigration. Um, and all of that really comes from one album right? Because Blunted yeah. on Reality did fuck all, really. Like, there's a, there's a funny line in a part of their press writing about their group, which is like, the group have sold over 22 million albums worldwide. And we know that's all the score. Like, yeah. Blunted has sold like 200,000 copies or something. Um, and, it, and it happens in like, such a short period of time. They're like, apparently they're the Beatles of hip-hop, and their entire recording career is three years. 1992 to 1995. It's mad to me that I know I'm not exactly a connoisseur of the genre, but the fact that I have—I don't think I'd even heard the name when you before when we first started talking about this season—and yet they are so regarded one of the best-selling hip-hop albums of all time, best-selling album of 1990, whatever year it was, or second best-selling album of the year, something crazy like that. So many, you know, laudits. Is laudits a word? Plaudits. Plaudits. So many plaudits. You've done the Bob Iger thing. They're trying to get rid of letters. Yeah. <laughs> so many... Uh... Sorry, Sos Iger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dibney. <laughs> Dibney. Um, so many plaudits. Um, <laughs> and that I just have absolutely no notion of them. Is absolutely yeah. mad. I mean, I thought Killing Me Softly was Lauren Hill. I didn't know who even who... I didn't know anything. I just knew it was that song from my dad's car. Well, it's, right. it's interesting, isn't it? I, I didn't know a lot of that either. And you, so you don't have to step too far out of your comfort zone to find new and interesting things from artists that you'd never even really considered before. Um, it's interesting. Um, and obviously it launched kind of three careers to varying degrees of success. So, so Pras Michelle, he continues to rap as a solo artist after the breakup. Steve, yeah, you spot on earlier. You'll have heard Ghetto Superstar. Ghetto Superstar, that is what you are. Oh, that yeah, one. We know that one. I know that. A song yeah, yeah. so big that I heard that before I knew that it was a interpolation of Islands in the Stream. That's just blown my mind. Are you joking? <laughs> I know, that's I just, just blown that. my mind. Islands in the Stream, yeah. that is what we are. Uh, it could be a reinterpolation. Yeah, okay. no or, or it could be a rip-off, you know. 
the same way that yeah, the same yeah, way that, same way that, so, same way that someone I forget who ripped off Jimmy Eat World, you know. Yeah, sure. Something, that wasn't a, a, that wasn't a reinterpolation. Worth. That was just a a rip off. You keep saying reinterpolation. Mm. I think I think you're struggling between interpolation and reinterpretation. Well, he also used unsyncopated, which is probably not a word. So why not? I think unsyncopated is a word. Yeah, I think it would be. Capated. Do you think it's syncopated and normal? It'd be pated. <laughs> pated. Syncopated. And then syncopated. Okay. Um, Praz also did a bit of acting in a few movies, and more recently he was found guilty of 10 criminal counts in the US District Court after a lot of legal trouble around him aiding an illegal donation to Barack Obama's 2012 presidential campaign and then subsequent lobbying of the Trump administration to drop the investigation into the investment firm he used. Wow. So that's the legacy of Braz Michel. Wyclef Sean, we all know Wyclef Sean. He continued on solo. He featured on the first big Destiny's Child song. He wrote songs for Whitney Houston and Santana. He's released nine solo albums, written loads of songs for other people. You'll know the one that he wrote for Shakira, which we'll get into uh, on a different episode. And also he wrote It Doesn't Matter, featuring The Rock. Um, (laughs) He's got 60 Bentleys in the West Indies. uh, Steve, it doesn't matter. Okay, I'm fine, sorry. Try to get up with this. Right. Uh, and he also, he made a failed bid for president of Haiti. We should, wow. I don't know if we should have, like, I don't know, we should really explore these things in depth. Wow. There's so many little tasty morsels of information. Yeah. We, we will kind of meet up with them further down the line as some Fuji's reunion projects take place over the years. But for now, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. All that really remains uh, is for me to ask you guys if you could think back to everything that we've covered today. Was it music? Um, yeah. Hmm. It was bow 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 bow. Which was is that to music say, though? Which is to say music. Okay, lovely. Oh, I thought um, you were doing a little bow chicka bow and I thought you were gonna get a bit sexy. <laughs> no. Uh I'll tell you what, before I go, well before we go, it's not just me that's gonna leave. I didn't well. think you guys were gonna carry on. Oh. <laughs> uh we've got time for a little email? Can we do a little email? Is that mm. all right? Yeah. I'll let you do it just this one time. <laughs> okay. Lovely. And I'll let you do it two times. I'm only going to read one. Okay, so this is from uh, this is from Joseph Bradfield, who obviously we know, no relation. No I don't, relation. We don't know them personally, but uh, you know they've been in touch a number of times over the years. We're also working through a backlog, so this might reference the past seasons. This is from before the, people even knew what this season was going to be. Uh, but Joseph says, hello again, big mates. It's my second time emailing in. Hello. Which feels a bit greedy, but in my defence, I'm beginning to think that you've been making this podcast specifically for me over the past three years. In season one, you covered Manix, my favourite band from when I was 18. In season two, you did Muse, my favourite band from when I was 15. And now you're doing Radiohead, who've been my favourite band for my entire adult life. I've hesitated to get in touch this season. It feels like there's simultaneously too much to say and not enough. What more is there to add to the conversation around the most rabidly dissected artist of the past 30 years? And how do I fit my personal feelings about them into an email? There's not enough space for that without starting my own podcast. Don't you dare. So instead, I thought I'd share a little window into the Radiohead fandom. 
I'd enjoyed Radiohead throughout my teens, but the obsession fully struck while I was at university. I was bandmates and then housemates with two fellow obsessives, and we all acted as each other's enablers. I'm sure we were insufferable to be around. I remember covering There There in our first practice session, perversely deciding to do Idiotech at an acoustic open mic night, Jesus Christ, and many, many happy nights spent over-analysing lyrics, debating time signatures, relitigating track listings, and so on. But most of all, I remember the week In Rainbows came out in our final year. First, the surprise. There's a new Radiohead album, and it's out next week. Then the anticipation. How are they going to have reinvented themselves this time? It can't possibly be as good as OK Computer and Kid A, can it? The three special edition box sets were immediately ordered. And on the day of release, we downloaded the album, waited until everyone was done with lectures uh, and work, and then crammed into the bedroom with the biggest speakers for our first communal listening session. Normally, when something has that much hype and expectation, the reality can feel like a letdown. (laughs) But in this case, what an album. Every bit the equal of the two other monoliths in their back catalogue. We ended up listening to the whole thing three times back to back that evening. It would have been special on its own, but hearing it for the first time in that context with friends who I knew were having the same transcendental experience as me made it unique. I think this is something that often gets overlooked about Radiohead, the amazing communal feeling of being a fan. I've found Radiohead fans to be almost universally lovely people, smart, funny, interesting, and genuinely interested in hearing what other people have to say. I suppose it's because they attract the kind of person who will whoop, whoop with delight when their favourite band pulls out a techno jazz album track or obscure B-side at a gig rather than one of their biggest hits. Anyway, enough rambling. Thanks for giving me many more hours of Radiohead content to consume, and I look forward to season five, whatever that may be. Cheers, Joseph Bradfield. They've also... um. They said, P.S., as I'm sending this during spooky season, because they sent it close to Halloween last year, Mm. I thought you might like to see the thematically appropriate pumpkin I've carved this year. And I had a quick look at it. It was slightly too scary for me, uh, but it is, it's a pump, yeah, it's it's a pumpkin, but they've carved the Kid A Bear uh, into it and it looks great and I'll share that guy I'll share that with you guys later for you to have a look at but just be aware that obviously it's a pumpkin which is very scary mm-hmm. um can you send it in the morning so I don't have to look I don't have to think about it yeah yeah not right before bedtime yeah, yeah yeah exactly exactly and tell you what while we're talking about our listeners like Joseph Bradfield thank you very much for sending that in I'm going to dedicate this episode to somber zomba one of our biggest mate subscribers over on our Patreon. Thank you very much for subscribing. This email is yours. Um, if you're very confused as to why... Did I say email? Yeah. <laughs> this email is yours. This email is yours. I'm sending them an email. But this episode can be yours as well. If you're very confused as to why I'm talking, about, like reading out an email about uh, Radiohead in a podcast that's about Fuji's, because you've joined us for the first one, uh, go, go back and listen to our previous seasons, because we've done Manic Street Preachers, Muse, Billie Eilish, and Radiohead all in like insufferable amounts of detail uh but for now that brings us to the end of another episode thank you very much for listening our next episode is out next monday and in it we will begin our deeper dive into lauren hill's first solo album the miseducation of lauren hill and it's going to be much more in depth than the kind of broad overview that we've given the fuji's albums so join us for that but before you do uh come and let us know what you think of Fuji's and their albums, but mostly the score, because I'm not really interested in what you think about the first one. I'm just not not fussed. <laughs> um, 
Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Is Music Pod, TikTok at What Is Music. And if you'd like to send in something a little bit longer, like Joseph did, we can read it out on the show. And you can uh, you can do that by emailing us, whatismusicpod at gmail.com. And if you liked what you heard here and you're thinking, hang on, how do I get a, uh, an email or an episode dedicated to me? Uh, please do head over to our Patreon page where you'll find all kinds of extra podcast shows. We're revisiting Manic Street Preachers, we're exploring all kinds of different artists, genres, and eras to make themed playlists we're doing bonus commentaries we're doing music discussion episodes we're doing ad-free episodes of this show there's a really amazing discord community and anniversary string you can head over to patreon.com slash what is music pod or follow the link in the show notes for up to two podcast episodes every single week there are also other ways you can support us if you'd like to buy some of our merchandise at whatismusicpod.redbubble.com send us a little one-off donation over on coffee.com which is ko-fi.com slash whatismusic but the best way to support us is still doing what you're doing right now which is listening to us um thank you very much for doing that you can rate the show you can subscribe to the show share it with your friends all of that stuff that podcasts ask you to do that about does it thanks again for listening and that's the end of this episode ready or not bye here I, one time, okay. <laughs> <laughs>